Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hears from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy, Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome to Brain Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Brain Stuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. Just a heads up, uh, this episode deals with an important story of crime and violence against Indigenous people. We don't get super graphic, but if you're not up for that today, go on and skip this one. And take care of yourself, okay? At the turn of the 20th century, the some 2,000 members of the Osage Nation were some of the wealthiest people in America. After being forcibly removed from their homeland decades earlier and resettled on land no one else wanted, twice— The Osage had struck it rich in the rocky hills of what's now Oklahoma, when oil was discovered on their land. But what should have been a triumph became a tragedy in its own right. From 1920 to 1930, in what's now known as the Reign of Terror, corrupt local officials teamed with grifters and scam artists to defraud the Osage of millions of dollars, 
And they murdered dozens, or perhaps even hundreds, of Native people in the process in order to exploit inheritance laws. The investigation was handled by the relatively new Bureau of Investigation, or BOI, under a young J. Edgar Hoover. This department would become the FBI. But to this day, the Osage are still seeking justice for their ancestors who disappeared or died under mysterious circumstances during this dark period. Like virtually all Native American peoples, the Osage were driven from their ancestral lands, which included large swaths of what's now Oklahoma, in the 1800s. They were forced to relocate, first to Kansas, and then, ironically, back to Oklahoma, known then as Indian Territory. The forced removals were devastating, and many people died, but the Osage managed to buy their land in the territory, with money from the sale of their reservation in Kansas. And when cattlemen from Texas needed grazing land to fatten their herds on the way to Kansas City, the Osage leased them grasslands, providing excellent revenue. The Osage were the only Native group in the territory that wasn't required to comply with the 1887 Dawes Act. It divided reservation lands into allotments, most of which were sold off to white colonists. But then, oil was discovered on Osage land in 1897. When Oklahoma became a state a decade later, allotment was forced upon the Osage. But by that time, they had money and bargaining power. For the article this episode is based on, How Stuff Works spoke with Tara Dameron, who is Osage herself, and program director of the White Hair Memorial Learning Center. As she said, As much as they could, our leaders were trying to fight for the rights of our people, because we had seen what had happened to the other tribes in Oklahoma who were completely decimated. The leaders negotiated allotments of 640 acres for each of the 2,229 registered Osage people, without any surplus land sold to white settlers. And critically, they retained mineral rights for all oil, coal, and other resources beneath their land, the profits from which would be shared collectively among tribal members. Each share was called a headright and could only be inherited, not sold. The Osage auctioned off oil drilling rights to the highest bidder and collected a percentage of all oil revenue. The tribe was soon earning $10 million to $30 million a year, which is nearly $400 million in today's money, quickly making millionaires of each individual owner of an Osage headright. A common sentiment reported in 1920s newspapers was that the Osage were the richest group of people per capita on Earth. All of this made land that white Americans hadn't wanted look a lot more tempting. Outsiders swarmed into Oklahoma boomtowns like Fairfax, where they could either make money drilling for oil or by squeezing cash directly from the Osage themselves, by any means necessary. White merchants charged higher prices to Osage members. Doctors and pharmacists got their Osage patients hooked on expensive medications. Lawyers descended on Oklahoma in droves, charging exorbitant fees to assist the Osage in their business dealings. Things went from bad to worse in 1921, when Congress passed a law requiring all Osage to pass a competency test to see if they were able to manage their own finances. Under this insulting law, Dameron says, virtually all full-blooded Osage were automatically deemed incompetent and assigned a guardian to handle their money. Guardianships over Osage people were assigned by corrupt local judges, who gifted the positions to relatives, cronies, and political supporters. 
These guardians often swindled their wards out of their headrights or spent the oil money themselves while giving the ward a pittance as an allowance. There were even cases where an Osage ward had to borrow money from their guardian and fell hopelessly into debt. Marriage was another way that outsiders could make a claim at a headright, especially if the Osage spouse unexpectedly died, which started to happen with shocking frequency. Dameron said, You have these intelligent, healthy people who all of a sudden die from poisoning or from these really vague diseases like consumption. Jim Roan Gray, a former Osage chief, said in a PBS documentary that a full-blooded Osage with money was basically walking around with a target on their back. Quote, The sense of fear must have been horrible. Local police and judges were often involved and thus no help. So the leaders took their pleas to Washington, D.C., where they were able to convince the budding BOI, led by a 29-year-old J. Edgar Hoover, to take on its first murder investigation. The victims in question were several members of an extended Osage family. Anna Brown, a young and vivacious woman, was the first to be killed, her body found by hunters with a gunshot to the back of her head. Brown's death had been ruled accidental by local authorities. Not long after, Brown's mother died from suspected poisoning. Then her cousin, Henry Rowan, was also shot and killed. That left just two of Brown's surviving sisters, Rita and Molly, with all of the family's valuable headrights. Then, on March 10th of 1923, an explosion ripped apart Rita's home, killing her and her family. Molly was now the sole survivor. What she didn't know was that her white husband, Ernest Burkhart, was slowly poisoning her. Burkhart was the submissive nephew of an influential and charismatic cattleman named William K. Hale. Through undercover agents, the BOI learned that Hale had ordered the killings of Anna Brown and her family so that his nephew would inherit all of their headrights, worth half a million dollars a year. When Burkhart and other accomplices confessed, Hale was convicted of ordering Henry Rowan's murder and sentenced to life in prison. But due to his powerful connections, Hale was paroled in 1947, and Burkhart, despite pleading guilty, was fully pardoned by Oklahoma's governor in 1965. And Damron reminds us, quote, That was just one family and one conviction. All of us Osage have family stories about relatives dying or disappearing under mysterious circumstances. Estimates of the total number of Osage killed in the 1920s ranges from 24 individuals to several hundred. The truth, Dameron says, is that there's never been any closure. There's never been any justice. Furthermore, the descendants of the corrupt guardians and scam artists who stole Osage headrights back in the 1920s are still collecting royalties on Osage oil and gas revenue. By Osage accounting, 26% of the headrights owners are non-Osage. A 1978 law finally made it illegal for non-Osage people to inherit headrights. But some of those headrights were gifted to churches, universities, and other institutions that have no descendants, per se. Dameron says that the Osage nation is strong, and because of its mineral wealth and leadership, the Osage have been able to help other Native peoples and sustain their own future. She said, There are a lot of successful Osages. We overcame the terror of the 1920s, but we're still fighting to get back what's rightfully ours. 
In 2011, the U.S. government agreed to a $380 million settlement with the Osage tribe for mismanagement of funds. Also, in 2021, the Native American Rights Fund donated 20 acres of ancestral land back to the Osage Nation. And, at the very least, more people know the story. Some of my colleagues at iHeartRadio and Bloomberg published an eight-episode podcast miniseries this fall diving deep into the history and present of the Osage Nation. The podcast is called In Trust. And journalist David Graham published a book in 2018 about the Brown family's plight called Pillars of the Flower Moon. It's now being made into a movie by Martin Scorsese. Today's episode is based on the article Reign of Terror, The Forgotten Story of the Osage Tribe Murders on HowStuffWorks.com, written by Dave Roos. If you'd like to learn more, check out the podcast In Trust, available wherever you get your podcasts. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with HowStuffWorks.com and is produced by Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.